TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Hour number three set to begin here on 97.1 FM Talk. Uh, a little bit later this hour, of course, I'll have an audio cut of the day. Also, Joe Pacino is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. He is with the Defense Innovation Board former communications director at U.S. Central Command and a retired U.S. Army colonel. He happens to think that Ukraine can no longer win that war. He wrote a piece in Real Clear Defense, and we'll get him on the air a little bit later this hour. Don't forget about our Fish Fry Fridays. We uh, kicked it off last Friday. We were supposed to kick it off two weeks ago, and we're back at that location. Incarnate Word was the one that got snowed out a couple of Fridays ago. We'll be there on Friday. The roundtable will be live. Uh, of course, we'll have Paul Hall on entertainment. James going to hang out for the entire three hours. Uh, John Lamping, Forest State Center, Jeff Rainford on the panel on Friday. So come see us in Chesterfield and Incarnate Word and enjoy some fish. Look forward to that. Uh, Scott Jennings is with us. We're going to do something unique here because we like to talk politics with Jennings, but of course you're also a Cardinals guy and you're down. Are you in Jupiter right now, by the way, or not? I was in Jupiter. I left uh, after the Red Sox tied today. I saw two ties. It was the least satisfying thing you could possibly imagine. And I left town. I'm on my way to Tampa. I've got a speaking engagement in the morning in Tampa, so I'm driving across the Sunshine State. Well, our mutual friend Joe Arnold was down there with you in um, in Jupiter, and Fred just told Joe that you and I are going to talk politics here. Joe's going to jump on the line, and then he's the closer for the segment because I do want to hear about <laughs> your experience in Jupiter. Did you, by any chance, uh, Scott, have any and this was all happening when I was getting ready to do the show here this afternoon, so I didn't have any kind of major hot takes because I didn't know if anything was accomplished with Terrence Bradley's testimony down in Fulton County. Did you see any of it? Yeah, I, I did not see any of it. I was at the game, uh, and uh, and then we hopped in the car and, and took off. I did realize it was happening, but truthfully, I haven't followed it today. Well, and I, I don't think there was anything that was, you know, big today. They're just trying to, you know, connect the dots here on some of the evidence that was presented last week and now with the cell phone audio. But it's it's very difficult for me to believe, again, I mean, this judge is going to disqualify. I think the only question right now is what happens with the rest of the case, Scott. Well, and, and, you know, for the purposes of us analyzing it for the presidential campaign, I mean, the odds of this thing happening now before the election have got to be close to zero. And so that really just refocuses our attention on what could happen before the election. You've got the New York, uh, the sex paperwork case, as I call it. And then you've got got the uh, January 6th case. Those are the two most likely to go to trial and obviously have some impact on Trump's chances. What, what was your takeaway, if there was any, from South Carolina? You know, I um, was um, not surprised that Trump won. He, he did come in a little bit under the polling average. You know, there is a persistent group in these primaries that obviously wants to do something else. Um, 
you know, and, and it's not enough to get Haley the nomination, but if they don't come back to the Republican Party, Trump's going to have an issue. And I suspect most of them will, but this race will be decided on the margins. And, he, you know, he's going to run into trouble if some of these suburban college-educated voters go away from him the way they did in 20 and the way they appear to be doing in the primary. On the other hand, Trump would argue that he's changing the Republican Party into a multiracial working-class party, so they're going to replace all those people with new kinds of voters, some black, some Hispanic, uh, you know, in, in other places. And right now it's hard to argue with his argument because if you look at the polling averages in all the swing states, Mark, Trump is ahead at every single one of them, and it is a persistent lead. Yeah, to your point, now this is someone you spent some time with on the CNN set. This is Axelrod with CNN's Kate Baldwin talking about some of this. We've all seen the mugshot, and you know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population. Regardless of if that was scripted or was a Trump off the cuff, this fits with his attempt to try to appeal to black men mm -hmm. specifically should this be a legitimate concern for the Biden campaign looking at I, it? I think it should. Look yeah, he says, I think it should. And the numbers, you, you, you know that the polling numbers are there. And even if it just makes a, a, a slight difference, it could make a, a big difference in the end of, you know, this election with the results. The night of South Carolina, Ax and I were talking off the air about this very issue. And, and we're, we were looking back on past performance with African-Americans and uh, African-American men in particular for Bush, uh, for Obama, then for Trump. And and, you know, the one thing about uh, Trump's polling right now is it's way beyond anything we've ever seen a Republican candidate for president get. Now, you know, there's some who would argue maybe sometimes Trump polls a little better than he scores. But, you know, even if you go from like 13 percent to 17 or 18 percent, that would be a massive movement of people in a lot of places like Michigan, Georgia, you know, I mean, there's a Pennsylvania. I mean, there's a lot of places where if that number moved just five points, it'd be really difficult for Joe Biden. So speaking of Joe Biden, is there anything that you're anticipating out of Michigan? They're voting in their primary today. You have um, folks in Michigan, Rashida Tlaib and others saying, look, don't don't vote for Joe Biden on the Democrat side. Vote uncommitted. Will there be some bad PR for this president coming out of Michigan tonight? It's amazing to me that there is a flank of the Democratic Party that wants to be uncommitted to Joe Biden, but committed to Hamas. I mean, it's like, really, know, it's right? amazing to me. It's, it's, I mean, you have a major American political party that wants the president of the United States to align with Hamas against Israel, and they're willing to withhold their votes. We'll see how he does. I mean, again, though, this is a state, if you, if you think that Joe Biden is going to lose Michigan, and right now, by the way, he's got trouble with these pro-Hamas, progressives. He's got trouble with the auto workers that the leadership endorsed him, but the rank and file are for Trump. And so, uh, you know, if he loses Michigan, Biden, I mean, I mean, the map gets really difficult. If he is losing in Michigan, that that's that's major problems across the board, in my opinion. Well, he's going to fix all this by going down to the border. I'm sure this will be a successful trip and he won't step on his words or anything this week. Right. That would be the only. Yeah. Only took him over three years to get there when he realized, by the way, significant polling issue. This week, for the first time, immigration became the top issue in the Gallup poll for Americans. And at the same time, it is the worst issue for Biden. He's at minus 39 points net approval on immigration. It's by far his worst issue. So it's the biggest issue in the country and the issue on which the American people tell pollsters Joe Biden is doing the worst at. I mean, yeah, I, I know why he's going to the border. I know why he's trying to play this policy jujitsu with Republicans. I just don't think it's going to work. I think people have realized that his policies have made it worse. 
he reversed the Trump policies and that this is just an election year canard, you know, coming out of a guy who wants to get through an election. Do you have any reason to believe that if he did an executive order now, he wouldn't immediately reverse no. it after he took the oath of office? Of course not. Yeah. And then beyond that, I think that, you know, I truly believe we'll see what happens here. There's genuine political risk putting this guy in front of the media down there concerning, you know, what's happened in the past just month. You don't even have to go back to last year with some of the blunders just the past, you know, week or so where he can't get some of the words out. So I don't know, you know, and this kind of falls in. Do you think I haven't asked you this question? Um, some people have weighed in. I, I even think they, they touched on Bill Marshall. Do you think that these two guys debate in the fall? I think it's less likely than than not. I, I, I really believe you could make a case in both campaigns that a debate wouldn't help you. Uh, there's a lot of risk in it. Uh, you know, it, it, it also may matter if one of them thinks they're losing. I mean, if if Biden tr- truly thinks he's losing in the fall, Might have to. he will be desperate. He'll yeah. be desperate to, to debate Trump. But, but you know, and you think back on 2020, what happened? You know, Biden pretty much won the first two debates. But in the third debate, Trump caught up and, and really, I think, won the last debate. Say something else about incumbent presidents. They almost always lose the first debate. You know, uh, Trump didn't do very well in his first debate. Obama didn't do very well in his first debate against Romney and 2012. These incumbent presidents sometimes, you know, take take that first debate for granted and don't do that well. I think Biden could be, uh, you know, also not just facing just his own communications challenges, but that that first debate curse for incumbents running for reelection is a real thing. So, I I think I I don't know I, I, maybe they debate, but I'd, I'd say it's a it's a fair chance uh, they they will not. I, I'm with you. I just I can't see just based on, you know, what I see and what most people see. And you know, I'm sure you've heard Bob Costas going off on some of this. Bill Maher, a lot of other Ezra Klein there. Everyone's encouraging, hey, do something here. Tr- try to make a move so we don't have Trump again. But that message is not resonating. And I just think the risk there if they get into the fall and, and these are the two guys, which I think these are the two guys. Wow. Uh, and, and you know something awful. else about these guys. They're they're both basically incumbent presidents. True. Trump to the Republicans and Biden is the incumbent president. Hey, I've been I've been saying this in some of my speaking engagements. Is there a single TV ad? Is there a single thing either of them could say about themselves or about each other that would make you change your opinion about them today? And I think for the vast majority of Americans, the answer to that is no. And so what what are you going to solve in a debate? You know, is is Donald Trump going to make a point in a debate? But if you've hated Donald Trump for the last six years, you're going to say, well, you know, he made that yeah. one point no, that's that a one good night. Point. I'm going to switch. It's not going to happen. But doesn't that, Jennings, doesn't that kind of go to the issue? We had this debate, and we've had this debate on my Reardon Roundtable with, uh, and you know my friend Jane Duker, because Jane insists, and I get this, I think the instinct is for all of us to say, look, come on, there's no undecided voters. But then you got Frank Luntz or someone like that puts a bunch of people on the screen, and they claim to be undecided voters. They're not. I mean, they're not undecided. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. if. You know, I, I love it in October when when the media finds like, you know, three undecided people in Wisconsin or whatever. And I'll tell you one of two things: either they were definitely not undecided, or they didn't vote and they went back under their rock. I mean, I mean, yeah. the thing about that, that, that's the thing about the debates; they happen long after everybody's already made up their mind, especially in a, in an election like this. I've always argued to move these things up. I think we ought to have every single debate if we have any at all. Before Labor Day, because after Labor Day, pretty much 
people go to their corners, and there ain't too many undecided folks out there. So my, my argument would be move these things up in the calendar. I'm with you. Scott Jennings, who was in Jupiter watching the Cardinals, and let's welcome in to the broadcast the closer this afternoon, the one, the only mutual friend, Joe Arnold. We let Jennings cover the politics. Both of you are going to talk baseball because you were down in Jupiter. Joe, are you there? How are you this afternoon? There's a cross-section between these two conversations because – there's breaking news out of Jupiter this afternoon that Joe Biden and Donald Trump have been named the number four and five starters Ouch. for the Cardinals. Ouch. Ouch. Just because of their 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 their, their ages, you know, they're they're going to help to kind of equate this. It's amazing, Mark. It's amazing the uh, the AARP is going to be the other sleeve. Oh, here we go. Here we go for Look, uh, for the okay. Cardinals. Okay, it's it's easy, and I've seen the memes, and I've even shared some of the memes, and I think it's funny yeah. and everything. I like. I'll, I'll start with you, Joe, before I get reaction to what you saw down there. I like the Brandon Crawford deal. It became official, by the way, this afternoon. I'm in favor of it. I, I think. I, I'm, I mean, I like old people. I really do. I mean, I, I am. I'm an old person. I think this is fantastic. I really do. No, I. I, I you know, listen. If if you have to pick a lane, this is the Cardinals' lane, and they're going all in. Why not? I mean, you can't do any worse than last year. I I, I hear a lot of sarcasm, Jennings, from our friend Joe, who, by the no, way, a year I'm, ago, I'm, a year ago, all he was doing was just you know beating up on these new rules, which ended up being inconsequential, I think, in the end. Joe Joe left town today. I went to the game. You missed it. Moseliak actually had a press conference to introduce Crawford there that the deal was done, but he also announced they're changing the name of Bush uh, Bush Stadium to Shady Acres, and so we'll be having. <laughs> They've saved up all their lines for this afternoon. Mark, I, I, I'm, my feelings are hurt, though. I actually am being sincere. I think this is great. I really do. I think okay. the veteran right. presence is great. Now, that said, Scott and I can tell you from our experience in Jupiter, I think you'd agree with me, Scott, that the most exciting players that we saw play, though, were, were the youngsters. I mean, Mason yeah. Wynn, when we, we saw him play at the Astros complex there, just lights out. Victor Scott, his, I mean, just – I would love he's – a, he's a Vince Coleman kind of reincarnated. That's fantastic. I mean, the energy here is from the youngsters, but I, I love the veteran presence. Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing with the Crawford deal is if, if you're signing – and maybe with Carpenter too. I mean, it's different if you're signing these guys and you're, you're putting them in full-time positions. But I do think with Edmonds' injury and with Mason Wynn still you know, coming into himself, that, that's not a bad move, and he's got some versatility. So what, what was there anything – because this is so early in the process, and, and a lot of these guys you probably didn't even know the names of. Is there anything, Scott, I'll start with you, to glean from what you saw down there during spring training? Well, I, I saw very little offense, but I did see some pretty good pitching. Uh, you know, some of the uh, we saw a lot of arms, and uh, some of these young guys. You know, some may make the team, some may not. But there, there were some really good innings out of some of these young relievers. That was number one. I agree with Joe about Victor Scott. He had the hardest hit ball today. Had a 106 mile an hour line drive. It was caught, but it just hammered it today. Very fast. Mason Wynn had a three hit day. Uh, Yvonne Herrera, I thought, also uh, looked good when I saw him. I did see Sonny Gray pitch today. He's our opening day starter, and he's a little wild, didn't quite have the command uh, that you would like. Maybe he was overdoing it. I will tell you this. If you go to a game with Sonny Gray pitching, you will hear him grunting. I didn't understand the the, the grunting until I got in the stadium. He sounded like Monica Sellis. Wow, out there. really? I mean, there, there is some loud – yes, it was, a, it was an audible grunt every time he throws a pitch. Hey, on the Victor Scott question, because that's not a name that's been discussed quite a bit. What, what is Joe? What's the path for him realistically? He's an outfielder, right? He's an outfielder, and I mean, obviously, the Cardinals' outfielders are already crowded. And of course, Tommy Edmond, if he in fact can't start the season, that moves Dylan Carlson into the center field role, 
and uh, ostensibly Alec Burleson is is in the mix there as well. So no, he's blocked. I think he's still a year away, uh, but he's still very exciting. Yeah, I think uh, now I think Burleson is the odd man out today. I mean, if you look at the four bench slots, it's got to be Herrera as the backup catcher, and then you've got Crawford and Carpenter who are now on the in the on the roster, and then you've got. Uh, Dylan Carlson is your fourth outfielder. If they carry 13 pitchers, that'll be your four bench slots. I think Alec Burleson had a – I mean, the signing of Crawford probably puts him back in Memphis, I would think. Uh, I, I think yeah. you're not off target there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as it's, especially when you factor in, obviously, the fact they signed both Matt Carpenter and Brendan Crawford. You have to wonder if not for this Edmund uh, kind of being slower to come back around and being ready for the season, whether the Cardinals would have signed Matt Carpenter just because Brandon Crawford is – I mean, this, these guys were on my fantasy team ten years ago. You know, it's this is this would have been a great fantasy team ten years ago. I just want I just don't know about Matt Carpenter and Brandon Crawford on the same bench. Hey, what were you guys? Did you have any kind of um, takeaway about Jordan Walker? Kusamanos told me that he he just looks even more beast like than he did last year, adding a lot of muscle and, and is just huge, ready to just clobber I, the ball. I didn't get. I didn't get to see him uh, take any BP. Uh, I saw some video. Uh, I did, you know, he's 0 for 7, I think, to start the, <laughs> to well, start the spring. He didn't, look, he didn't look too hot today. But, man, yeah, he, he does look like a man among boys out there walking around, even though he's one of the youngest guys. I mean, he really is a physical presence. I'll tell you somebody else I saw. We signed a pitcher out of Taiwan last summer. His name is Lin, 6'7 kid, and I saw him walking around the backfield yesterday. I mean, this dude is enormous, like super tall, and he's got like a – Five foot tall interpreter that walks around with him that makes him look even taller than he already is. But uh, it was the first ever player the Cardinals signed from Taiwan, and uh, he was back there uh, working out. Now Joe and I also got to see Lance Lynn up. I mean, up close and personal. We saw Lance Lynn throwing live full speed batting practice to Paul Goldschmidt, Lars Newtbar, Brendan Donovan, and Luke and Baker, and that was a pretty special. I mean, we were. I mean, we was like one of ten or fifteen guys back there that saw yeah. it, and it was. It was pretty cool. Lance Lynn, man, I, I thought he looked pretty good, except for Brendan Donovan did hit like a 400-foot tank off well, of him. But otherwise, he looked pretty good. Joe? I will say, though, to that point, because, I mean, more encouraging was the at-bat from Brendan Donovan, considering the fact that he's coming back from surgery as well. I was encouraged by his at-bats versus Lynn. Well, I'm jealous because yeah. I still have yet to get down to Jupiter for spring training, and I know you guys make it an annual trek. You got plans to come here to St. Louis for, uh, for games already or not? I'm just waiting for Steve Moore to send us tickets. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, we'll take care yeah. of you, boys. You know that. We're going to take great we, care we, of you. We filled in for a week for you like two years ago, and we've never gotten our compensation of oh tickets for that. God. We're How, waiting. You're going to get your compensation. Good Lord. All right. I'm hey, thank you. I'm just saying. Thank you for coming on here. We appreciate Invoice. Play invoice ball. us. Take care. Right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Oh, my God. They know that they got tickets. They just like to, you know, uh-huh. complain, if you will. They did. They filled in for me when I had COVID, I think. Oh, that was A couple nice. years ago. 524. Uh, We're back with more audio cut of the day still to come as well. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Let me take you behind the curtains for that little promo that you just heard me reading about the fish fry on Friday. Because, and I'm, I'm going to throw Trisha Everding, who is our um, leader here at 97.1 FM Talk, under the bus because she wrote the promo for me. And we, we did it a few weeks ago before the snow came in, and she just mistyped Incarnate World. And when I had to record what you just heard, I, it was still on the paper as world, and I could not get the stupid word out of my mouth. So the challenges of a radio host, ladies and gentlemen. But we hope to see you there on Friday afternoon. It's going to be a great time. We had a lot of fun in Cottleville last week, and we are in Baldwin the, uh, the following week. And I think we still have um, a couple more to fill, and we'll let you know when we have locations. So I, I've talked a little bit, not extensively, about Ukraine aid, and we, we haven't really talked about the reality of what's happening on the ground because I think it's kind of hard to understand exactly what's happening on the ground. And then, of course, after October 6th, and October 7th, I suppose more uh, accurately, things changed and a lot of the, the focus went on to Israel. Um, I have expressed deep concern about sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, uh, not only because I want to make sure that there's accountability, but because I'm concerned that this war I- is over and that Putin is winning. And Joe Bacino is with us this afternoon. He is a research analyst at the Defense Innovation Board, former communications director at U.S. Central Command, retired U.S. Army colonel. Joe, thanks for coming on. You wrote a piece in Real Clear Defense that certainly caught my attention. How are you this afternoon? I'm good. I, I appreciate you having me on. And, and with that intro, can I just lay out two pieces for you that Absolutely. just struck out to me. Go for it. So, so I was in Poland when when uh, Russia invaded the full the full scale invasion. I was in Poland with the NATO reassurance mission. We were there uh, basically because we thought we thought Putin was going to overrun Ukraine in four days. And, and our our point there was, you know, we had a big military force in Poland sending a message to Putin. You know, don't go any further once you eat through. Ukraine, don't invade a NATO country. Um, and, you know, obviously we were wrong. We were wrong about the um, the will and the resolve of the Ukrainian soldiers. And then over time, we became wrong about their ability to adapt to that kind of, of fighting. An- another thing I just want to point out is that we're not sending money to Ukraine. And that, that's this is being... You know, I just want to maybe explain this a little more clearly. The money goes to inside the United States. It goes to places like Lima, Ohio, where we make the tanks. It goes to places like uh, Simi Valley, California, where we make the switchblade drones that they're using. It stays in the U.S. We make, we produce the material. It's not like we're sending it to Zelensky and he uses it. 
I, I, uh, I just want to maybe lay those two things flat just to maybe start level set the conversation a little bit. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's an important point. But the um, the bottom line in your most recent pieces, you just think that there is not a chance at this point for Ukraine to win. Well, you I don't want to put words in your mouth. You laid out here. It yeah. looks, to you, it looks like there, there's an issue here with with victory for Ukraine. There's no way for them to win. We reached a point where they, they, they're not going to be able to gain any more terrain. That's how you win this kind of war. It's like who holds terrain. Um, and, and I think that the, the, the White House and this administration has to be honest in their assessment of this or honest with the American people about this is that what's happened now is that all of the advantages at this point accrue to Russia. Ukraine has done everything they could, but they're now consolidating ammunition. They have very little ammunition. They're now recruiting 50 year olds. So, you know, they've run through their population of, uh, you know, military age fighters. They're, they have no ability to, to gain any more ground, and they have limited ability to hold what they've got. Russia can now just throw mass at this problem. They have overwhelming advantages in size, speed, technological capability, and they can just throw this these things at Ukraine until Ukraine breaks. You know, normally in this kind of fight, the, the time horizon favors the defense, right? Favors the smaller mm-hmm. force and the force and defense. In this case, the longer this goes, it favors Putin. So, you know, that that's unfortunately what we've got. It, w- there was a window. Um, it, it was like around this time last year, frankly. There was a window where we had an opportunity and Ukraine had an opportunity to push Putin to the point where they, they wouldn't win, but they'd go into negotiations of some kind of peace treaty where they'd get a guarantee of no additional Russian incursions, something that's favorable towards Ukraine. And even that is no longer viable. Joe Pacino is with us. He's a research analyst at the Defense Innovation Board. So let, let's kind of go back to the to the aid, the $60 billion, the weapons. We're sending some F-16s. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be there for a little bit of time. But I think what I hear is you're making the case, even if all of this sort of comes through, Ukraine's still going to fail and fall, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. The Ukraine is still going to fall. You know, if we can throw two, three, or four more of these aid packages at Ukraine, then maybe maybe Ukraine can bleed Russia for a little bit further. And, and that's only to our benefit, okay? It's a very dark calculation. Um, but the, the more Ukraine, the longer Ukraine fights on, even in a losing, ultimately a losing effort, the more you erode Russia for us, for the good of us. Right, right. Um, and I do want to say something about these jet fighters, the, the uh, F-16s, is, is that they're not going to make a difference. Those jet fighters need long runways, and the runways in Ukraine are now all cratered. They're unusable. They, again, they would have made a difference like 18 months ago. That's interesting. But, but they're not going to – I think it's being reported as if those could turn the tide – it's a very capable aircraft. First of all, it requires an awful lot of training to use all the weapons on that thing. 
Um, but th- they're not going to make a difference. Joe, you also make the point, and this is, th- this is interesting too, that because we talk about this here on this show because the news, hike, news cycle changes so quickly, geopolitics changes real fast, right? So you had this situation in Ukraine, there was a lot of focus, and then it changed on October 7th. Now there's focus elsewhere, and there's demands for resources elsewhere. That does not help Ukraine. It doesn't help you. And then the other thing, you know, people, people in, you know, I'm in D.C. right now and people in D.C. say, well, boy, you know, we should hold to our commitments. We really should hold to our commitments. overseas. We should do that. But I feel I, I agree with that. Yes, we should do that. But we're not beholden to that. We have a democratic process and people in Maine may not want to hold to those commitments. They may change their minds over time and they get a vote. They get a literal vote. And, you know, where, where the country is, and I don't do the politics. I just do military oh, analysis. That's appreciated. Where, yeah. yeah, I mean, where the country is right now is in more of an isolationist philosophy. I, I, I think that's not for the good. Uh, I, I think that's for the bad. I, I disagree with that. But you know, it doesn't really matter what well, I but think. But let me let me piggyback on that. So what, what we're told by a lot, lot of people, and look, I, I feel in, in a weird way this is my evolution because I've never really been an isolationist. I've made a strong case for mm-hmm. you know, our role in other parts of the world. But this one, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic. I don't know if it's because of the border, the things that we're seeing in this country, but I, I'm not as open to, to all these resources going overseas. But what we're told is, man, if we don't do something now, then Putin's going to go into NATO. You know, he'll go into Poland or another NATO member. What, what are your thoughts on that? I am I'm a little bit like a lot of like a lot of people in this country. I'm out with that. Okay, I, I'm out with that. There's a thing I call it. In a, you know, there's, I call it threat inflation. I came up with this term about. I like it, and years I think ago. I think I know where you're going, and I agree with it. But go ahead. You know, boy, I tell you, if we don't go into Iraq in 2003, yeah, wait yeah. till they wait till Saddam has a nuke. Okay, Saddam's never going to have a nuke. Let's let's be let's be serious here. You know what though? I bought a lot of us bought into it. A lot of us made the case. Tony Blair made the case. George W. We all made the case back then, right? We all made the case, but, you know, you, you are a learning animal just like I am, yes. and, and we're, we're a learning country, and, uh, you know, fool me twice type of thing. I mean, you know, you know I, I think where we align priorities are, I think, I think that changes over time. And where we align priorities is kind of where we see ourselves in, in the day-to-day. I think there's a little bit, you know, when you say this, this – if Putin gets past Ukraine, he's going to roll through Poland. That, that, may, that may be true. Okay, that may be true. I, I mean, it, it's, he, he's, he's proven, in my mind, to be irrational. I, I would say that, you know, some of that is the defense industrial base does need to pump out production. It, does, it, it needs right. to loosen its supply lines. So, you know, you get this aid through and then – you know, what's the next sort of threat? You know, boy, China is looking, looking pretty hard at Taiwan. You know, um, Iran is, is really, you know, is really stretching its arms and legs there in the Middle East. So 
you know what? I, I'm a little, I'm very skeptical of, of threat inflation. Yeah, justifiably I think we so. Should be. Yeah. And, you know, th- this is another opportunity. I do this a lot, but I'm going to do it right now because um, and maybe I should go back and watch this again. It's been a little bit, but I always recommend, and maybe I should also find out. Look, it looks like it's on Prime. Okay. So you can rent it on Prime. There's a film called Why We Fight from 2005. Are you familiar with it? I'm not. I've not heard of this. Great documentary by Eugene Jarecki, and it is framed around Dwight Eisenhower's speech about the military-industrial complex, and it is mm. an outstanding. Our own John Ashcroft from here in Missouri. John McCain is in that. Ken Edelman. But there are some things in here that are extremely revealing. And look, you, you can be uh, pro, you know, get involved in everyone's business around the world or anti, but you're going to learn something from that movie that I think is important. And there was a great reminder from President Eisenhower that's been forgotten over the years, and you just kind of brought it up, Joe, and I like to bring that movie up because it's important for people to remember. Yeah, I will definitely check it out. I have not heard that. I, I, I have not heard that. I, I think what I would you know, recommend maybe to, to the listeners a little bit is is to think about the the, the aid package, sixty billion dollars. Think about what is what is getting us in that part of the world is that Ukraine can't fight to a win. It's just it, it's not that that there was there was that there's no opportunity for that. It can't really fight to some sort of advantageous position for a peace treaty it can fight to hold on and if your point in this is the longer it holds on the better that is for nato and the weaker russia is over the long term i will buy into that i will accept that yeah but i mean we just have to be honest about the situation, honest about what's happening. Well, I appreciate your honesty, and I like the piece quite a bit. Joe uh, Bacino, who was with us this afternoon from Washington, D.C., keep on him, Joe. Thank you so much for sharing uh, the knowledge this afternoon. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take take care, care. man. Audio Cut of the Day is coming up next. Sue asked me a question during the break. How much money have we spent so far on Ukraine aid? And uh, we can break it down a little bit. So they're talking about another package of $60 billion. The number that I have right now is $74 billion, but it comes in a variety of of forms and there's a couple of websites out there that kind of break this down into different charts but you know i think that it was interesting joe pointed out that you know a lot of this does stay in this country because you're buying weapon systems and things along those lines but there's a lot of money that's being spent on mm. these things 1.6 billion in uh, emergency food assistance healthcare refugee support other humanitarian aid 26.4 billion in budgetary aid through the economic support fund loans and other financial support. Now, he said that a lot of that money is not going over there. I think that is. Okay, some of it's staying here in this Certainly. country. Security assistance 18.3 billion, that's training equipment, weapons, uh, weapons and equipment 23.5 billion, grants and loans for weapons and equipment 4.5 billion. They even list here like they they list specifically on this website uh, this one it was. It's C. Oh, this is Council of Foreign Relations, but they break it down, CFR.org, into all these different areas specifically with how much you know has been purchased, like 10,000 Javelin anti-armor systems, 90,000 anti-armor systems and munitions, 2,000 Stinger anti-aircraft systems, uh, air defense, one Patriot air defense battery and munitions, um, you know, AIM-7 missiles, RIM-7 missiles, AIM-9 millimeter missiles, all these things, air-to-ground missiles, manned aircraft, 20 MI-17 helicopters. That's what we sent. I see. 186 Bradley tanks. This is so much. <laughs> and we've, okay, the, the question I think you had, Sue, was it is a lot, right? But 
maybe it's worth it in a winning effort to stop the spread of Putin's terror, right? But what happens Will when it? you lose? Yeah. Now, what's going to happen is, look, I think the writing has been on the wall here for Ukraine for a while. Maybe maybe my guest Joe was wrong, okay? Maybe he maybe. was, maybe he wasn't. But here's what's going to happen. The people who are in Congress who threw a red flag on sending more money in chasing a, a, a war that's already over, they'll get blamed for this, right? Which yeah. is utterly ridiculous, but we'll see where it takes us. Let's do this here. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. Well, this is an interesting one. This is uh, There's a group out there called the Trans Youth Equality Foundation. The Trans Youth Equality Foundation, Sue. Hmm. And the uh, folks said, and I'm actually not sure exactly who did the investigation, but on Libs of TikTok, they shared this audio today. And this is where a 13-year-old girl who claims to be a transitioning boy and once a chest binder, called this organization, and this is what happened with the woman on the other phone talking to her. Hello, Susamash. Hi, uh, do you guys offer um, gender-affirming care for youth? We offer um, support or resources to find gender-affirming care. We're not a clinic, um, and so we do our best to you know, help parents navigate a little. What, what state are you in? I, I live in Tennessee. Oh yes, far. <laughs> um, so for you, 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 your child would have to go um, out of state, correct? Well, I'm actually the child. I'm 13. Oh hi. <laughs> your voice sounded like a parent's voice. Ha 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 ha. That's Susan Mosh who runs this um, this group, and you know the the young. Man, young lady, well, she's faking her out, starts to ask questions. I know it doesn't probably help to hear this, but, you know, once you're 18, you'll be able to do whatever you want. Sometimes kids decide by the time they're 16-ish to get emancipated, as they say, to, say, get a little job and be on their own, which probably sounds terrible and hard, but it could happen, and it does for some. And when they're on their own and they're emancipated, they can make their own decisions about what medical treatment they want. So let's think through this logically here. You have a group that is posing a 13-year-old girl asking questions, and this organization is encouraging this kid, without her parents involved at all, to choose, at one point, they talk about getting another family, like your chosen family, not your real family, right? And to get a part-time job to pay for your puberty blockers and hormones and, you know, to have your breasts ripped off, right? And they also bash Trump quite a bit in this. I didn't even get to that, but you would expect that. And then there's the chest binder part. See if I get that here. I have a question. You know, how do you deal with transphobic parents? You know, of course, would you hear about parents that will get crazy and get like you know what I mean like abusive and then kick them out or put them on the street or (laughs) abandon them or um, beat them up or you know what I mean but there are parents you'd be surprised I mean there are parents who say absolutely no no way blah blah this is dumb this is you know unhealthy and it depends on how right wing leaning they are it depends on how religious they are that kind of thing so I actually thought I had another cut that I can't find right now, but it was specifically addressing the, you know, she was asking um, for that organization to send her a chest binder. And that woman, Susan, walks her through the steps, says, yeah, but here's the problem. If we send this, maybe your parents will open up the package. If we send this to a friend's house, well, maybe the friend's parents opens up the oh, package. Gosh. So they were, guy- they were doing everything they can. In What would the, the normal, responsible adult 
reaction to this be? Oh, you're only 13, 13 years old. Maybe we should be a little this. careful mm-hmm. here in discussing this, but that's not what they do, unfortunately. There's your audio cut of the day. Sue, have a great Tuesday evening. You we will too. talk tomorrow afternoon at 3. Get more at 971talk.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.